Hello, I'm Dr. Julia Dana. Welcome to the Dermal Distinction Podcast, a master guide on science, beauty, and ethics in aesthetics. I've had decades of real life experience in aesthetics, dentistry, and training, and I'm passionate about passing on my insider knowledge and teaching you the techniques, the science, and the heart behind the rapidly growing world of cosmetic medicine. The Dermal Distinction Podcast is a safe space to explore the ethical approach to cosmetic injecting and education. It is a front row seat to a lesson in aesthetics, injectables, and skin science. As always, before undertaking any treatment, it is important that you seek advice from a qualified practitioner about your concerns. Join me each week with an open mind and remember, cosmetic injecting isn't just about changing faces, it's about changing lives. Welcome back to Dermal Distinction. In today's episode, we're taking a behind-the-scenes look at the world of professional aesthetics practice. Join me as we delve into the intricacies of clinic management, client relationships, emerging technologies, and the day-to-day life of a practitioner at the top of their game. I'll be sharing insights, personal experiences, and tips to help you navigate the journey of running a professional practice in the aesthetics industry. Let's get into it. This episode was motivated by my own journey in the aesthetic industry and what it's taken to be a successful clinic owner. For patients that are tuning in, this might not be the most interesting episode for you, but I'm glad that you're coming along for the ride anyway. In this episode, we're going to be delving really into the business attributes, the fun side of business, the not so fun side of business of the aesthetic industry. I'm going to pull back the curtain on what's made me successful, but some of the ideas that I've taken from other practitioners and other practices and that I've used in my own practice, and maybe this will inspire you in your journey. Let's start by talking about your aesthetic practice and the atmosphere. This one is a huge one for me, and it's one that I love to have fun with. I like to keep my patients guessing on what they're going to find each time they come in. I love interior design, and so everything that I do with interior design around my aesthetic practice is, guess what, aesthetic. And it has to be because we are wanting to do aesthetic things with our patients, whether it be cosmetic injectables or using an equipment, but it's all for an aesthetic outcome and for great ones. So part of the patient experience and what I think makes me successful in my aesthetic business is the environment and the atmosphere that I create for my patients. Before they even walk in the door, when we look at my website, for example, my website is, you know, filled with the treatment options. It's set out in a really aesthetic, pleasing way. So I've given the patients a bit of a taste of what it is that they're going to see when they come into the practice. When patients come to my practice, this is where I think the fun and the warmth of me starts to show before patients even get to meet me. When they walk in my front door, everything is aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Now, some clinics like to have a very clinical environment and that suits them and that's great for me. Personally, I prefer warmth and I show this by having different textures. So, you know, for instance, it could be that I have really fine, beautiful curtains, kind of similar to what I've got behind me. And then everything is color coordinated, not matchy matchy because we need to have different textures and tones, but I want to give the patients a sense of this is their aesthetic home 
and they want to spend time with me. And I know that this works because I often have patients ask, who's your interior designer? That's me. And what I love about that is that they love the feel of being in my practice. They love spending time and most of them don't want to leave. So I know that I'm hitting the target. So when you walk into your own practice, what I think you should do sometimes, because we don't do this often enough, is take a seat in your own reception or your waiting area. Have a look at all those little touch points. Some time ago, I was looking at using a marketing uh, company. And as part of the marketing company kind of onboarding process, the uh, team lead came to visit my practice. So this was um, going back maybe like 12 years ago. I think at that time I hadn't quite perfected the patient journey and experience. So when she came into my practice, she noticed certain things that didn't quite match. For instance, it seems crazy to me now thinking back, but I have two reception chairs for my office team and they were different. So I based them on, you know, comfort and so on. And of course that's important. But when I look at it now, thinking back to those times, aesthetically it looked terrible that I had one office chair that was one color and one office chair that it was a different color. So sit down in your reception, take a look around. You're going to be at a different eye level. So it's actually a fun exercise because sometimes you'll see, you know, something as simple as a little cobweb that no one else noticed. But I can tell you what, patients are going to notice that. So we need to keep in mind that the atmosphere we create in the reception is really important. Another thing that I'd like to draw your attention to is smell. This one's a big one. So my practice is a little bit different because I run clinical aesthetics, but I also have dentistry. I cannot tell you how many times patients have come in to my practice and said, it doesn't smell like a dental practice. And for me, that is success. Nobody wants to smell that dental practice smell because instantly it takes you to a place of thinking about dental treatment. I provide both. And even I don't want my patients to be thinking about dental treatment. I want them to think about how they're going to feel, how they're going to feel like they're part of, I guess, our team and our family. And it's an experience. I don't want them thinking about negative experiences they might have had years ago because smell is so important. So we have diffusers. And for me, another really important one is to have the same diffuser throughout the whole practice. So don't pick one scent for this area and one scent for another. My tip would be to become more uniform and to have the same scent from the front of the office all the way through to the back. So it's that same atmosphere and that same environment. Let's think about design of your clinic as being a blueprint for your entire brand. Branding is really important when it comes to aesthetics because you need to communicate what your values are in terms of aesthetics, what your values are in terms of safety, and ethics are to your patient and also to your team. It all needs to come together. So before we get into talking further about interior design, let's talk about branding. This one is something that I'm quite passionate about and I want to share with you some tips on branding. Your branding needs to align between your treatment offerings and the services you wish to provide and your aesthetics. These two need to come together and to connect and to tell a story to your patient before they even meet you. Part of the design of your clinic 
needs to establish that mindset of what the patient expects to see and to hear from you by just being in your space. An example would be when you walk into a designer store, for instance, walking into Chanel, for example. When I walk into Chanel, I expect to see luxury. I expect to see texture. I expect to see high-end finishes, shiny things, things I want to touch and feel. When you're establishing your brand, you need to start thinking about what do you want your patients to touch and feel? What do you want them to experience? I've given you an example of smell, for example. This is really important because when our patient is experiencing our atmosphere and our clinic, we want them to have an established expectation of what does your brand mean to them? When you're thinking about your brand, I want you to think about clinical excellence. What is going to portray this to your patient? So some of your furnishings should start to establish that clinical excellence. If you're seeing parts around your practice that are not looking so polished or have been around for a little while, and I hope no one has those magazines from 1980, you need to put into place what you would expect to see in that brand. So if we look at some of the high-end brands, they have spent millions of dollars on looking at brand and establishing the brand identity for their patient. Us as clinical practitioners, how can we get that same insight without spending millions of dollars? One of the first places that I look at is other clinics. I visit my colleagues from time to time and I'll look at the way they have set up their clinical practice and I will sometimes look at you know, for instance, even the way the front desk is set out, and I'll be like, that is an amazing front desk. And I'll ask, can I take a picture of that? Another option would be to visit Pinterest and put together a mood board of what feels right and what communicates clinical excellence, aesthetics, and patient trust, because that's what branding is about, creating trust. Patients want to know that when they're coming to you, they're investing in you and what you represent. That is branding. So branding is truly important from the front desk, the whole way through to the clinical rooms. One of the things that I like to look at is establishing, again, the same atmosphere from the front desk through to the clinical rooms. Now, I know the clinical rooms often are quite clinical. There's lots of stainless steel and so on that needs to obviously meet certain aesthetic, you know, um, and actual clinical requirements. But there's touches that we can add that still represent our brand and also represent clinical excellence. And we need to have all of these things coming together to solidify what we're trying to represent to our patients. My story is going to be really similar to your story. When I first started out back in 1998, my clinical practice was very different to where I am today. And how did I achieve that? Every single time I visit a restaurant, I visit a store that I love, I take either mental note or physical note through taking a photo of something I love. Sometimes it might be a particular armchair. It might even be the way they've arranged particular ornaments on a bookshelf. It might actually be the books on the bookshelf, the way they've stacked them, the way they've arranged the different colors. These start to form part of my plan. I haven't studied interior design, but I love it. I love it because it creates an experience and a mood and an atmosphere which connects 
my brand with what I want my patients to experience and for them to be empowered with the, I guess, the expectation and the knowledge that when they come to visit me, they're going to achieve something and have that same experience every time. When you're looking at your clinical practice, I would recommend that you do the same. When you go to your favorite shop, so an example of a shop that I love to visit is Provincial Living. So Provincial Living has a lot of French-inspired, like Parisian-style shelving and chairs and books and all sorts of accessories, lots of marble. And whenever I visit, I often take photos. I take photos of different textures that come together that I think work really well or a corner of the shop that I love. When it comes to customer service, car brands are exceptional at customer service. So I know that if I am shopping for a high-end car, for instance, a Mercedes or a BMW, I know that from the moment I walk in, I know what to expect in that experience and that I know I'm going to be well looked after. Take note of those opportunities and experiences that you have because even though they seem disconnected from an aesthetical clinical practice, they form part of a way of thinking about, well, how would you like your patient to experience things from the moment they walk in your front door through the moment they pay their account at the end? You want that experience to be the same because that's your brand and It's about establishing excellence. One of the things that I um, picked up in my journey through our life so far is sound. Sound's another really important one because sound, as well as smell, they evoke emotion. I noticed that back in uh, 1998, I had uh, four clinical rooms when I first started out. And back at that time, I had the radio going in each room and every practitioner got to choose their own music. So we would have things from classical music in some rooms to pop going on in another. And, you know, it wasn't so bad if you were sitting in one of those rooms, but I found that there was a real disconnect as you were walking down the corridor because you would hear a clashing sound from one room to the other. And so this, again, wasn't really connecting with what I was wanting my patient to experience or my brand. When you're walking into your clinic, take a moment and listen. What do you hear? Do you hear clashing sounds like I heard back in 1998? Or do you hear uniformity? What I would urge you to consider is buying a system where you have some playlists that run from the front of the building all the way through to the back and it creates uniformity. It creates a atmosphere of tranquility, or you can be a bit more fun and up-tempo and have some jazz playing, you design your brand. I think that it's really important to have that brand uniform so that your patients, again, know what their experience is going to be like. In Melbourne, we have a supermarket which is renowned for playing Italian jazz music. And you know that when you go there, you're going to hear that music. It's really quite clever because you feel like you want to stay and you want to go through and shop all the different aisles, even if you're just running in for one or two things, because that sound makes you feel like a little part of you is in Italy. So when you're thinking about your brand and what you want your patients to hear, maybe think where do you want to take your patients, whether it be jazz for you or whether it be classical design your music around that experience. It's really important and something that's often forgotten. 
because it's a sense. Let's get back to the sight of things and how things appear and look. So when I've taken photos at my favorite places, whether it be a restaurant or whether it be even a holiday home that I've had the pleasure of visiting, I like to bring some of those things back to my practice, not everything. I don't think I want to throw absolutely everything because I don't want to recreate, you know, Noosa in my practice. Noosa doesn't suit suit me, although I'd love to live there. With taking back those favourite things, I like to take a little piece. So, you know, for instance, in my practice, I've got a lot of photos and they're all black and white photos because I love uniformity, but they're photos I've taken and they mean something to me. But they're also, for me, a bit of a talking point to my patients about different experiences and places. But I find that really good little technique I used, and maybe it might work for you too, is to put little captions on some of your artwork. Tell a bit of a story about why you chose that artwork. Who's the artist? Um, For me, it's me being the photographer. And um, my little captions are, you know, talking about what is meaningful about that place. So giving a little bit of a history about that location and so on. But it's creating that story and creating that brand, again, from the front of the building through to the back so that you've got uniformity and a story of a brand and what makes you you and why patients would choose you. And it makes it fun. It makes it a fun experience for your patients. Another little point that I'd love to give you is to change things around from time to time. Sometimes keeping things the same gets a little bit boring. So from time to time, maybe take out a cushion that you have in the front reception and throw in some colour. Maybe put some colour in for, for fun for summer, but change things up and renew and refresh. Patients love, just like like you love when you go to a store to see what's new. They want to see new things because With branding, although we like to create the same atmosphere, we want to create a feeling of progression, a a feeling of growth and staying clinically relevant and clinically excellent. So when you're choosing furnishings, choose furnishings that inspire, that offer, I guess, a um, experience of higher end, whether it be a cushion with an extra tassel on it or whether it be something a little bit shiny in the texture. It creates a luxe experience that gives the patient the expectation that I'm in a place that I'm going to have some treatment and I want to spend my time and I want to spend my money here and I want them to work on me because I can tell that they care about aesthetics. The key thing to remember is that when you're designing your space and committing to your brand, you should be about science, aesthetics, and beauty. And this needs to be reflected in everything you do, whether it is the physical design of your practice and clinic through to the brochures you give your patients. From beginning to end, your patients should have an understanding of what you represent and what you're going to provide to them. This is so important. Branding should be in your DNA because it conveys a message and a story to your patient about who you are and what you're going to do for your patient and patients want to be part of that experience. Now I'm going to turn to talking about my typical day. My typical day starts obviously in the morning where we have what's called a day sheet. So a run through of what's going to happen from moment to moment, appointment to appointment. We start with a morning huddle and that's bringing in all the team members and we talk through the patients that are coming in that day. We discuss the treatments that we're going to undertake. We also talk about past treatments that they've also had. So are there any 
touch points that we need to pay extra attention to, what photos need to be taken, and also, you know, some instructions that we may need to give the patient following on from today's appointment. Part of the morning huddle is also looking at the previous week. So every day we reflect on what treatments have we done this week, what patients do we need to reach out to, and part of that reaching out experience is making sure, you know, things are on track, they're comfortable, they have any questions that we're answering them for them. I like my patients to feel that they can ask whatever it is they need to ask because I want them to feel confident and also understand their journey. And I want to know as a practitioner that things are going well as well. Once we've gone through our run-through and our morning huddle, we get onto the day's treatment. So part of the day's treatment for me is actually getting ready for the day. Now, there are two things that I want you to know about my practice. My practice has changed a lot from the beginning of my practice life in 1998 through to now. But what I did right from the beginning is number one, I set up a culture where professionalism needs to be key. Every team member knows that there is no place for gossip about to other team members or about patients. We must keep professionalism and patient confidentiality at all times. So even in our morning huddle, we have protocols around which team members need to be involved and in what aspects they need to be involved in. It's really important that you set this up in your team and your team culture. You need to write down what you feel is important for your team and your branding. This is so important to keep the branding, professionalism, and culture of your clinic high at all times. The second thing that I'd like to address is also the processes. So when we begin our morning huddle, there is a process around that morning huddle through to setting up for the day and end of the day. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing is left to chance. We have checklists and protocols as part of our daily routine. This keeps us clinically excellent and also keeps us accountable. Accountability is really important when it comes to patient treatment, interaction, and so forth. I don't want to leave it to chance that someone has done something. We have checklists to ensure that team members are responsible for achieving certain goals and tasks for that day and also for the week. I'm not talking about KPIs. I'm talking about our practice functioning. So from the beginning of the day when we are meeting in the morning, I know exactly which team members are going to be doing what tasks for that particular day. And part of that morning huddle is doing a check-in. How are we going with onboarding this particular patient? How are we going with maybe onboarding a new team member? It's really important that you put these systems into place in your practice because this is what will make you successful and this is what will also give you a bit of a competitive edge when it comes to your practice over competitors. The reason for this is because you are setting up a standard, a clinical standard of excellence that you carry through not only from you as a clinical practitioner, but you know that every member of your team has those same goals and that same overall overarching philosophy of patient care and clinical excellence. Standards are not only important to me and to my patients, but also to my entire team, because what this does is it creates a harmonious team that are all striving 
for the same goals. The reason for this is because they know where the goals actually are. By creating some standards, you can set up your team to be successful and to want to work for you. One of the great things about having standards is that you create a environment of professionalism. There are clear goals, there are clear boundaries. You can start to now point out those team members that are particularly excellent at a particular task and maybe they can be the lead on educating and onboarding new team members. You can also find those team members that maybe need a bit of assistance and need to step up to a goal and the clinical lead can help them create those standards and create those protocols that they need to step up to. What I love about standards is that people love to work in a team where they understand where the team is trying to go, they understand what the goals are. Again, it's creating that brand that you know team members aspire to be part of, are proud to be part of, and this is what really sets the difference between those practices which have high turnover of staff and those practices which retain their staff for a long period of time. Part of our training in Dermal Distinction Academy is helping you actually create those standards and create those protocols. This is an area which is often forgotten about, but practice management is something that I'm deeply passionate about. I've been a practice owner for 25 years and I've seen where practices do well. And doing well is where everyone is really clear on the task. They're clear on the standards. And, you know, it's also about not letting things get pushed under the carpet. You're held to an account, but the account is good. It creates a brand. It creates a vision and a goal and a mission that you all aspire to be part of. It's not my way or the highway, but there needs to be certain clinical excellence that we all aspire to achieve. And that's how you find your team members. That's how you find your team because you all should be aspiring to be the best. Part of standards and part of protocols is finding those team members that want to be the best. I'm going to highlight an area in my clinical practice that made me quite passionate about standards and protocols. When we're onboarding new team members, sometimes it's difficult to determine if they're hitting the mark. And at the beginning of my practice, what I would normally do would I'd kind of let everybody be responsible for everything. I thought that was creating a culture of sharing Unfortunately, what that did was it sometimes created a culture that somebody else was going to be accountable because I held no one to account and this was a problem. So I took that experience and I thought, how am I going to make this better? I want a brand that people that work in and patients that visit us see as being clinically amazing. How did I do this? What I did was I took apart each task that we have in the practice and there are a lot but I put a protocol and we sat down as a team and I am the clinical head and we started to set out responsibilities and we set these responsibilities out almost as job descriptions. At first I asked for volunteers for each of the job descriptions and as things were progressing and as I was becoming more business savvy I determined that this is also not the best way forward. I had to find who was clinically excellent at things. So, for instance, um, one of my team members is very detail-orientated. She is the perfect person 
to go through and look at all of our products and put things in order of, you know, for instance, something as simple as expiry dates. She is perfect at this um, particular task. When we get products that actually arrive into the practice, she'll look at the expiry date and send it back if it's a short expiry date. I wouldn't have even thought to do that myself. I obviously look at the um, expiry dates as we go, but she is the perfect person. So you need to find those detail-orientated people in your team and you need to find out the people that give their heart and soul and have the passion for the things that fire you and give you your passion and uh, the things that you want to make your brand and you need to light a fire under those people and push them to be as clinically excellent because as a team, when you're all on the same page, you can achieve so much more than you can achieve as an individual. As a clinical lead, I cannot be on top of everything, but as a team, we are all headed in the same direction. We all have the same aspirations and goals. Those protocols and standards are so important and you can achieve so much more. I want to focus now on patient relationships. I believe that we should have a great communication culture with our patients. When I'm looking after a patient, I do want to get to know my patient. I want to know what drives them, what what made them come to see me in the first place. Myself, I'm personally known for being a great communicator with my patients, being open and very approachable. There needs to be some boundaries. The boundaries for me in my practice are that we will always talk to our patients with respect and I expect respect in return. We need to have a culture of being open and creating discussion. If a patient has some sort of concern, I want them to feel comfortable in coming forward and talking to me and likewise I want to feel comfortable in coming forward and talking to them. It's very natural as human beings that we connect with some patients more than we do with others. I like to think that I treat all patients with respect and I don't impart any personal biases upon them or their treatment options. If you ever felt that you were giving bias to a patient for that patient or against that patient, I would urge you to delegate that patient to another clinic or perhaps to another clinician. We need to respect our patient's autonomy and we need to treat our patients equally. The reason our patients come to see us is usually due to human connection, but also, of course, through our clinical excellence that we deliver. If I talk about the patient communication part, this one obviously is our connection between our patient and ourselves. We still need to have some protocols and rules about the way we interact with patients. For example, I've had patients that have tried to connect with me on social media uh, through my uh, private channels, but I don't engage. For me, I think that we need to keep a clear boundary between what is private and what is professional. And for me, I need to keep my care of that patient professional. I feel for me, and perhaps you feel this for you too, that if you start to move into those private channels, it can sometimes get harder to keep a level head when you're offering patient treatments and even talking about consent, risks, when mistakes happen, and this kind of thing. So I think that creating some protocols around yourself, but also how your team interact with your patients is really important. If we've had any patients that have been disrespectful or angry, 
The first thing I think we need to consider is their why. Sometimes when patients have a complication or they're in pain, their first go-to is anger. So we need to understand the why before we instantly dismiss the patient. If we feel that our patient has no reason to be disrespectful or is showing, you know, for instance, a racial bias that has no part in my practice, and I would ask that patient to move on to a practitioner that suits them because that particular bias does not suit me. And it's really important that you have protocols around this, although it's quite a difficult topic. This happened in our practice just a couple of days ago. We had a patient call and was so angry and so rude to my front desk receptionist. Whilst I understand that people express themselves in different ways, my team needs to feel safe and they need to feel heard. And for me, I needed to move that patient on. In other circumstances, we've had patients that are so lovely and so wonderful and some that extend themselves and invite the team to their family functions. In some ways, we need to, again, create a bit of a professional boundary. Whilst I I love that patients feel so comfortable about us, I don't feel comfortable moving out of the professional and patient relationship, but this is something that you will need to consider and decide what you would do in your clinical practice when this happens to you. It's a lovely feeling, but you also need to consider whether it's the right fit for you and your clinical practice. Let's talk about the balance of demands between professional practice and maintaining your continuing professional development and education. This is a really tricky one and I find this one really hard to get right because we've got our family life, our professional life, our continuing education life. I find that the best thing to do is you must schedule in education. So I look ahead to conferences that are coming up and I mark those out in my appointment book from the get-go, if possible. Whenever conferences that have great scientific backing, like the North Surgical Symposium come up, they're marked out so that I can't take appointments during those times. I also schedule in reading, reading uh, professional journals, listening to webinars that are coming up. Sometimes it's me actually participating in the webinar myself. It is difficult to meet the demands of professional practice, but you must maintain your continuing education also. I love being educated as well as being an educator in our professional life. For me and for all medical practitioners, we need to at least achieve 60 hours every three years. For me, this is actually really simple and I far exceed these numbers. It's a matter of now balancing those good conferences and perhaps not attending those conferences that don't add value. What I would suggest is that when you're looking at your professional clinical career, you do schedule those conferences in. You do schedule some me time, whatever that me time might be. For me, it's usually reading an article or you know attending an online webinar. I try to get the balance right. This is a really difficult one because I love working and I love education. So I find that it's one that I'm quite passionate about and I'd urge you to schedule it in early so that you meet those numbers and meet those demands. In this episode of Dermal Distinction Podcast, we've talked about some easy topics 
like design, culture, and branding. But the most important thing is that through all of this, you must have standards and protocols to keep you ethically compliant and fulfill your obligation to patients. I'd urge you to create a protocol around reviewing your ethical obligations and your standards and protocols every six months. If you don't know how to do this, please seek out either legal advice or some professional advice from your support network and your mentors so that you can create a safe clinical practice that is ethically compliant and you fulfill your obligations to your patients. Above everything, we need to create an environment that is safe and that is great for our patients to visit where they get great results, but you maintain your obligations ethically and professionally to your patients. I hope you've taken away some key ideas from this podcast episode and I look forward to seeing you next time on Dermal Distinction. If you have any questions, feel free to DM me at Dermal Distinction Academy. Otherwise, bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Dermal Distinction. The conversation continues over on my Instagram at Dermal Distinction Academy, where I encourage you to connect with me. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. 